I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're looking at this thing. This is part two of Together Church. And uh, we'll just go ahead and look at the message itself uh, for those in the sound booth back there. Um, we're going to look at Together Church. And I, I'm thinking about, I've been thinking about the church and what the church means. And the church is a lot like your family, by the way. Uh, a lot of people have written the church off or written, the, and I'm when I talk about the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole. They've just kind of written it off. Just say, well, it's not relevant. It's, it's not pertinent to my life. You know, it's, it's not all of these things. And, and then there's folks that say, well, look at the hypocrisy. And there's all kinds of people, excuses that people hear, that you hear that, well, people don't go to church. But let me just say this. The church is a lot like your family. And because it is, it means that, that you know, is your family perfect? Is it? Matter of fact, is there anybody here perfect? Well, no. Well, then you try to put together a group of people of all who are imperfect and all who have needs and all who, you know, church is just not perfect and it never has been. But it is what Jesus chooses to work by his spirit through to speak into our lives. That's all. And when you get that perspective, Matter of fact, I think uh, Kaylee Bates probably has helped me more in, in uh, something she's told her mom and dad when she was young. She said, you know, mom, dad, church is a lot like family. And it is. It is. It, and it is. You think about it in, in so many ways. So when you begin to, to look at the church, it's God's plan A and plan B. Right? It, it's his plan A and plan B. It, it's... Matter of fact, when you look at Together Church, what we find is this. We find that, that the church belongs to Christ. It's not our church. It's the, the church that belongs to Christ, where he is the head. It belongs to Christ. It is built by Christ. It becomes like Christ and battles spiritual darkness, and it's blessed to share in Christ's future glory. So, I mean, you got you got past, present, future. you got all of this. And notice here, church centers around the person of Christ. It's not the preacher's personality. It's not, it's not your singing. It's not your style. It's not whether you serve coffee or not. It's not whether you wear jeans or not. It's, or you wear suits. The church centers around the person of Jesus. The church is not about our preferences. It really isn't. It is about Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today is that the power and the reality of what Paul says about the church. And it's so easy for us, and especially in the time that we're living in, to get to get our eyes off the what is central to it. Matter of fact, there was there was a uh, there was a story. I ah, can't can't uh, find it. I don't have it. Well, I don't. Look at there. I don't have it. It was a story that I was going to share with. You. Oh, here it is. <laughs> Samuel Logan Bringle. Um. Oh, I'm sorry, this is not Samuel Logan Bringle. It is, I'm even starting off on the wrong page. It was William Booth. 
the founder of, Salva of the Salvation Army at the turn of the 19th century. So it would have been at the turn of the 1900s. He said this, and this was his concern for the church as the church was going into the new century. You know, when we went into the new century of, 20, of 21st century, we were concerned about Y2K because everybody knew that their computers wouldn't work. Right? Well, that what didn't happen. And um, we lived through that. We actually lived through New Year on that day. And our computers were running the next day. To everybody's surprise. But at the turn of the 20th century, here's what he said concerned him the most. He said, I consider the chief dangers which confront the coming century. Now listen to this. It's like it was prophetic. Will be religion without the Holy, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. It'll be a, Christ, a Christianity or a, a Christianity without church. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. Now I'm like, whoa. He said that then? Yeah. Yeah. If, if you ever wonder the significance of, of why I even go to church or why why do you do this thing, Greg? Why do you stand up and you give messages about God or about the church or about Christian doctrine or about salvation? Why do you sing these songs? I mean, it is because Jesus described what we do in two, in two very distinct ways. He said it like this. He said it is like light and it is like salt. The influence of the church in the world is, is these, it's these two things. It is salt and light. Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Now, light, light, what does light do? Well, light dispels darkness. It, it brings to, it reveals things. If, you're, if you are working, cleaning in your house, you, you want to spread some light on the walls if you're doing spring cleaning and on the windows. Have you ever been in your car and the car, your, your windshield looks pretty good, you can see out of it and then you get down the road and the sun shines on it and you can see everything, right? You were just seeing the big stuff before. And all of a sudden, the light does what? It reveals all the, all the, uh, all the blemishes, all the impurities, all the things. You ever, yeah? You know, let me just tell you: if you want to look in the mirror, just turn the light off. You'll be fine. <laughs> you turn the light on, and what happens? Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a new spot. There's, you know, it's it's why because light dispels darkness. Think about that. Light dis, light dispels. It brings revelation doesn't it? It reveals. Light dispels, get this, light dispels darkness. And the, one, of the purposes of the, one of the purposes of the church is to bring the light of Christ to the world. And in that message, there'll be some that like it. See, no, nobody was really ever indifferent to Jesus. Really wasn't. People either loved him and followed him and adored him or they hated Jesus. Right? 
And, and we get really surprised that everybody loves the church or doesn't love the church. Don't get surprised. The reality, the reality is, is that sometimes the light exposes darkness. And Jesus said that it exposes the works of darkness. And that's one of the purposes of the written word of God and, and, and the power of being the light of the church in the world. Not everybody likes that. Especially if you're in darkness and you like it. Jesus said the second thing is like this. It's like salt. What does salt do? Salt purifies the influence of the church in the world. And I'm talking about that world. I'm talking about the worldwide. Those who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. The, the influence of the church is purity. And that doesn't mean that the church is always perfect or always getting it right. The, matter of fact, Timothy George, I believe, says that the church is always in this reformation of 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 of, of coming becoming more and more like Christ. That's that's the catch with it. So the church is in this endeavor of being salt and light and salt into your lives and salt into the life of your family and salt into our own lives. Why? That brings us into more and more being like Christ. And that's a process. And that's something you don't get overnight. That's not something that happens at a zap, you know. That comes in a process of growing in Christ-likeness and in holiness and in godliness. So, when you look at Ephesians 4 or 5, don't, don't go there, back there. Just, let's just look at this. I want us to look in, in chapter 4. And I want to look at one verse. We looked last time, this is all the ones. Jesus, we, we looked at last time that, uh, that Paul describes the church as, as one body, one spirit, and one hope. And then he goes on to say, that there is one Lord, verse 5, there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now that's all. That's all I'm going to be preaching on today. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through and I want to say, being Southern, y'all. He's living in some sort of mysterious way in the life of the church. Let me ask you. How many times have you sat in church or sat in a service and it's like, man... Something's happening in my life. I mean, God's speaking to me. You ever have that? You think it's just you, don't you? Everybody does. What, what is the dynamic of that? The dynamic of that is God taking the power of His Word that is preached. The power of His Word through the Holy Spirit to penetrate our hearts. That is the, one of the evidences of God at work among His people. That's it. That's why you need church. We need, I need it. You say, well, you're the, you're the pastor, Greg. And I need it. I need to hear from God. How about you? I need God to speak to my heart. Because 
I naively think it's my life, but it's not really. It's the life of God in and through me and you. And it's the power of Christ dynamically working in and through His body. You are involved in a God work. Why? Because God's involved with you. Right? That's why I be there. If it's just the obligation, eh, just a duty, eh, eh, that'll, that'll flitter away. But when you anticipate the work of Jesus among God's people and within you, and I'm being a part of that, there is something when you can stand up and sing together living hope. Why? Because there's a living God at work in the dynamic of the church gathered. It's a powerful truth, a powerful reality. Now, if we get that perspective of church, then we have a little more motivation to kind of say, well, I think instead of rolling over in bed, I think I'll get up and go. Right? And let's just face it. There are times that I feel like rolling over in bed. You say, you? Absolutely. There are times that I would rather just, if, if I did what I felt like my body wanted to do, I think I'd like to sleep in a little later. Because my body needs sleep. My body needs, and I can, I can surmise, well, it is a day of rest. Right? People tell me all the time, Greg, I'd be in church, but I have to work. I said, you do too, huh? People don't think of that. I mean, so that's a real incentive for you to be there, isn't it, Greg? Yeah, and so what I'm saying is there has to be something that is, that is a deeper motivation for you and me than either obligation or just something you do. There is a powerful reality of God at work in his body. Get in on it. That's what it means. So, Paul says this. Now, I want you to look at this. He, he's, it's, it's just so interesting. You know, the early church, well, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have, they didn't have fog machines. Smoke. I don't know how they made it. <laughs> don't know how they did it. They didn't, have, they, didn't have, they didn't have cool coffee bar. And I love coffee, right? And we have, you know, you can sit here and do, and do your coffee thing. We have coffee out there. They, I don't know what they did. They probably didn't have a coffee bar. They, they didn't have smoke and lights, and they didn't have electric guitars. And I love that. You all know that. I love that. And, and they didn't have, you know, uh, you know, if they had a piano, I don't even know if it was in tune. Right? How in the world did they ever make it? They were even persecuted. They were talked about. We say around here, talked about like a dog. Well, you know, the, for the early church, I mean, they were hunted and, and oftentimes they were persecuted just for simple the, the fact that they were following this Nazarene preacher who claimed to be God in the flesh. Who was crucified for that, by the way. And it wasn't, that wasn't like a martyr's kind of death. No, it was a shameful one. And now he's got all these followers that are claiming this gospel and claiming that he is coming again and claiming that he saves from sin. And I mean, they think about their message in the in their current in their cultural venue. 
I mean, it's something that, that slick marketing couldn't, couldn't take care of. I mean, their message was, and the, the, and the word that was out on the street is that these Christians in the Roman Empire were nothing short of cannibals. That was, that was what, they, that's what they encountered. Now, you put that up against what we deal with in church today. What the church world, and especially from the American standpoint, we deal with. You know, it, you know, we, we didn't have electricity for a part of the last Sunday service. And that kind of threw me, man. I'm like, man, what do you do when you don't have service? I'm like, okay, we've got to get back to the basics, Greg. Because I wasn't, I wasn't sure we'd have electricity enough to run anything. You get back to, well, and it just came to me. What did the early church have? They didn't have a whole lot. So if we have nothing but a guitar and we have a, God's word, Jesus will be in the midst among his people. Right? Did you hear that? Jesus will be in the midst of his people. That's what, that's what my expectation is when I come. Is that Jesus comes down and shows up. And he does. Now, I can't see him. Neither can you. We're right there in the heart, isn't it? So he comes through the gifts that we offer. He comes through, he comes through the reading of the word. He comes, through, he comes through in the singing of the songs. He comes through in the handshake and the fellowship, the dynamic of us coming together as an act of worship to God. He comes through in the offering. He comes through in every aspect of our life to remind us that this is only one dimension of worship in our lives. That's it. This is only one dimension of worship. How are you worshiping on Monday morning when you go to your job? How's worship when you're family time? Because if you give that to God, and that as, as a sacrifice, of, how about your words? When that is given as a sacrifice of praise to God, that can be just as much an act of worship as what we're doing here today. You get that? When you get that, that transforms your life. That makes Jesus real in every part of your life. Not just a Sunday thing that you're obligated to do. It makes a powerful reality of, of what his life means. That resurrection life. What is, yeah, it's one thing for us to come in here and say, yes, Jesus is my living hope. Jesus is my hope. I, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and, and righteousness. Okay, that's good. We sing about that as a church and we believe that. And it is true and I say amen to it. It's also true when you step outside this building. It's also true when you step inside your home. It's also true when you step in the realm of your work and your vocation. It also is true when you're on the phone and you're talking. Or you're texting. Or you're posting. Or you're communicating. It's also true... When your kids come to you with a dilemma and you take a deep breath, you say, well, I don't feel like what we felt at church. That's exactly right. But I want you to know something. That's why your theology has to be right. Because you're not going to be gathered with the church every time the bottom falls out of your life. So what are you standing on? So Paul says it this way. He says, there's one Lord Say that with me. One Lord. So, oh, come on. Y'all didn't even say it. One, or I didn't hear you. I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm hearing well at times. There's what? One Lord. There's one Lord. Now, here's what that means. 
Now, this is, this is think about this. It is, we, we don't use this word, but one Lord means this, literally, it means this, who has first place in our lives and in church. Jesus has first place in our lives and in church. First place. That's what preeminence means. And he, he's, in other words, he's, he's at the head of all of it. He is first place in all of it. The preeminence of Christ. This was their message, by the way. This was the message. If you look at Acts 2.36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord, both Lord and Christ. He said that was, that was their message. Their, the message of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, said that the message was is that Jesus is the Lord and the anointed Christ, the Messiah. He's Lord Sovereign. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. So it was, the, it, was the, it was preeminent in the message of the church. What does the church have today to offer? Really, what is it? It's a message. It's a message. And the message is, is that there is a Christ who is Lord. He's the anointed one as well as Messiah. And he changes our hearts. From the, and our lives from the inside out. So it's preeminent in the church's message. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. Just, read through all of that chapter and you'll see that. So, the, the church's message is the preeminence of Christ over all creation. He's the creator. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not only involved in creating the world as we know it, but in sustaining it. Holding the stars in place. And, and now scientists, though, and many of you study this, realize that we live on a really privileged planet. You know, it's, it's just the right climate. It's just the right activity. It's just the right all environment for life. Why? Why? It's no accident. And Christ is the head of the body, the church. So, God has chosen you and me as his representatives here in this world, as his ambassadors with a message. And the message is not a message on how to do better in your life, but the message is, is that we're really rotten without God. And that left to ourselves, we will live our lives as our own Lord. That's truth. You say, that's not good news, Greg. No, it's not. It's horrible news. And listen, if we persist in that, we're going to face a creator who, who, uh, who created us. And he's going to ask us, what did you do with what I created? Which is yourself. So you're saying, yeah, I'm saying you, don't, you didn't create you and, and we don't belong to ourselves. And left to ourselves, we'll live our lives for ourselves because we like to please ourselves. And I'm first in line for that. How about you? Huh? Be honest. There's nobody here more interested in, in you than yourself. Maybe with the exception of God. 
and Christ is the head. So all, all now we see is that, is that Christ is the head of the church and we are likewise all kinds of different members and we have different functions and different roles in different places, but we all have a place. We all have a place. It, we find that, that this was the dynamic of the early church in their worship. There was five areas particularly. It was in their worship. It was in their preaching and their teaching and their ministry and their fellowship and their evangelism. So what is the dynamic of the church? It's Jesus. It's one Lord. Think about this. In their worship, the center focus of the, of the worship of the early church and, the, and of, of the Christian church today, the church that is in Christ and the people that are in Christ centers around the person of Christ. We don't sing to nature. We sing about nature. This is our Father's world, but, we, uh, but it's reflecting. Think about this. The center part of Christian worship is Jesus. That's how I test whether something's of God or not. Who's it about? Is it about Christ? Is that the focus? Is that the motive? Is that the, center? Is that the centerpiece of worship? Is it, how about preaching and teaching? Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. Verses 41 and 42, I think. It was, they're preaching and teaching. They, they were steadfast in the, in the apostles' doctrine, the Bible says. You say, man, that just sounds boring. Wasn't to them. It was their life. Matter of fact, it was, it, it was so dynamic and the power of God's presence was so real that they met day every single day. Yeah, what if you had church like that? Think about it. What if you had to, what if you had to go every day? Oh, I'm pretty sure I don't think I can make it today. <laughs> you know, you get tired every day. They didn't, I don't, I don't, it was the dynamic of Christ. And God was adding to the church daily. Why? Because the apostles' teaching was the apostles' doctrine about what they had seen in the Christ whom they followed. That was the dynamic. They were followers of Christ. And what's amazing is that you have their testimony in the Bible, in your lap. Ministry points to the sufficiency of Christ to meet our needs at a, and to meet us at the deepest point of our, of our needs. That was a part of fellowship. They had prayer and fellowship. It centered upon Christ who brings the body together as one. And it centered, that was their whole message to the world. Their whole message to the world. They didn't market a program. They didn't market their style. They didn't market anything. They just had Jesus. And that's all we need. Hallelujah, Greg. That's it. Jesus. When, when have we been to do the thing that we need more than Him? Is He not sufficient? Is His Word not enough? Is the power and reality of His presence not enough in our life to sustain us, to comfort us, to bring us joy, to, 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 to be our very life? You know, don't have anything slick other than a person. And He came in human history and He, uh, he, he lived and He lived a sinless life. And the only thing that, and, and He lived and He died. And He was buried. And what He had to show of it was nail-pierced hands. And Thomas looked at him and says, nail-pierced hands? Yeah. 
You have seen all my miracles. You have seen all the things that I did. Jesus, what did, Jesus didn't remind him of one of them. But he said, here are the scars. And I tell you, beloved, what Jesus shows you and me is his scars. He shows us the power and reality that one who was without sin, one who was without guile, one who was guiltless, suffered by the hands of sinful men all in the will of God. To bring us to a place where we could know God the Father through Him, through Christ. That was His message. That was it. That was the message of the early church. And they had seen Jesus. And they had seen the nail prints in his hand. And here, just go ahead and touch my side. And their message was a message that the Holy Spirit empowered. And it shook the world. I'm going to tell you, there is no other message that the world has to offer that could compare to the message that you have living in your life through the power of the gospel. That's why you need to share it. The world can offer a, well, here's a way to try to do better. You need to turn over a new leaf here. You need to change a habit here. You need to change a habit there. You need to do this a little better. The, the, the message of the gospel is, no, you need Christ, and you need Him in a desperate way. And until you get to a place that you need Him desperately, you don't depend on Him. And when you realize, think about it, the message of the church is, is that we're sinners. And we're in sinners in the, in, the, in the worst way imagined. You say, well, I'm pretty good. I've convinced myself that I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, I did too for a long time. And then it hit me one day that Greg was really, really lost. And that I was really, really hurting if I were to really, really meet my maker that I really, really would one day without God. And when that truth captured my life, then I'm thinking, oh man, what am I going to do? And God offers the, the solution, and the solution is His Son. I mean, I had to become disturbed about me. Disturbed about me. And I tried to convince myself that I was all right. I'm, good. I'm better than anybody in our youth group, Lord. That was my, that was my, you know, if I, I could imagine, if I went to see Jesus by that point in time, I could have, well, Lord, I'm better than anybody in our youth group. Yeah. My own conscience, listen to this, my own conscience condemned me. And listen, the only way of freedom is the message of forgiveness of Christ. And you walk in freedom. And that's a continual walk. Hallelujah, right? Here's the last one. There's one, one Lord. Oh my, this is not the last one. There's one faith. There's one faith. 
Christ is the proper object and Christ likeness is the objective. Romans 3 verse 30 says, Seeing it as there is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. He's basically saying there's one God who, circumcised, or who, who does this work and circumcision was a sign of the covenant of being a Jew. He says there's a circumcision of the heart for Jew and Gentile that makes you one. That's all he's saying. Christ is the proper object and Christ's likeness is the objective of faith. Now, this is not some sort of... We often think of faith as being like inspirational. We think of like, oh, it's just like, oh, I have faith. And if I can get enough faith, then I can move God. I can get God to do something. I can, if I get enough faith, if I bring enough faith tokens to God, then God will move in my behalf. That's, that's an erroneous idea of faith. Faith is in the object of Christ. And faith does this. Faith comes to Christ and says, Lord, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting your will. I'm trusting your ways. I'm trusting your wisdom. I'm trusting you. Get that. Not to do what I want, but to do what you desire to do in and through my life. Faith is another word for trust. That's why the, the proverb says, don't lean to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your paths. So you say, Lord, I don't even trust my own wisdom, my own way of perceiving. I trust in you, the living Christ. I trust in your guidance. I trust in your word. I'm trusting in the presence of your presence in my life to guide me. And amazingly, what God does is he does. Those that are led by the Spirit walk in the fullness of His Spirit and are led are the sons and daughters of God. The new way of living. And it's a saving faith that not only saves us, but it's a sanctifying faith that grows us into Christ. It is both of those. It is both saving and sanctifying. Notice here, Ephesians says it this way. Paul further on says, till we all come into the unity of faith. And the knowledge, notice here into the knowledge of the Son of God, into a perfect man, into a mature man or woman, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what's God doing in His church, in our lives? He's bringing us into Christ's likeness. And that's a process. And sometimes it's a painful one. Sometimes it's, it's not real... It's not real real fun. It's not, sometimes it's not, a, not, a, not an easy thing to trust God. But I'm telling you, it's the best thing. Sometimes it's real easy to lean on to your own understanding. Because you ask yourself the question when you're faced with life, what will I do? Well, here's something you can do. You can trust God. You can pray to God. You can leave it to God. And you can see what God begins to do and how God directs you. That's a good way to start the new year. Now, here's the last thing. Oh, I've got two more. I want you to write these things down. I want to give you these real quick, okay? Go ahead and go to the next, next slide. How can you diagnose then if you're on track? Here's your spiritual health diagnosis, okay? I'm Dr. Greg. Actually, this comes from Donald Whitney. Ten questions to diagnose your spiritual health. Now, if you were to go to the doctor, you have your yearly checkup. Your doctor's saying, okay, how are you doing here? How are you doing there? 
you know, and you get to, you know, you get to stand on the scale and, and uh, it tells it all. <laughs> and the blood work reveals it all, right? And how do you diagnose spiritual health? You say, that's a little more, that's a trickier, isn't it? He says, well, here, he's given 10 things in his book, 10 questions to diagnose your spiritual health. Do you have a thirst for God? That's a good question. Are you governed increasingly more and more by God's Word? In other words, are you finding yourself growing in God's Word? Are you looking to God and His Word? Are you growing in love for God and others? Or are you taking things personal? Somebody says something, you take it wrong. Or are you beginning to think, okay, it's not about my life, it's about Jesus. Are you growing in love for God and for others? Is that, is that the becoming the motive of your life and your living? Am I more aware and sensitive of God's presence in my life? Do I have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Do you, do you feel others' pain? Number six, look at this. Do I delight in the body of Christ? Or is it like, oh, it's just, yeah, it's just church. Are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to you? Like worship and serving. Do you grieve over sin? Does it break your heart? Your own sin? Does it, does it break your heart? Are you learning and becoming quicker at forgiving? Now that's a toughie sometimes, isn't it? Then you're growing. Do you yearn to be like Jesus and ultimately with Him? And Jesus is involved in this process of bringing us to Christ's likeness. Now here's the last one. Um, that's something you can think. If you want those, I'll, those are in that book. And I would encourage you to get that book. He's a professor at Southern Seminary. Good, good, good book. And I've used that for years. To assess my own spiritual life. There's one baptism. Now, that one, that one kind of three, and, and Andy in a Bible study class, we were studying theology. We had gone through this verse, and he says, what does this mean? And I kind of shook my head. I scratched it. And I'm like, it's a good question, Andy. And I didn't, didn't I, 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 I kind of hem, hem-hawed like I'm kind of do, doing right now. You know, I didn't, didn't sound too certain, but here's what it means. It means that as the covenant sign... One baptism is a covenant sign of being in Christ as a part of a covenant community through the Holy Spirit. I think it includes both. It's, it's this idea that baptism, how did, how, did they, how did they know that they were a part of the church? Well, they were a part of a covenant community, and baptism was the covenant sign, that there was this inward work of grace that they had trusted Christ. That's why it's important that we follow Christ in obedience to baptism. It doesn't save us. But it points to the inward grace that God has done in our hearts. And that we're in covenant with a community. That, that we did not buy the, into that song and put it on our iPod. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. That was, that was an, how many of you remember that song? You all will go get that song now, won't you? You know, that was an old song way back. And y'all look like, what is he talking about? I might as well have just done something crazy. It was an old song that said, me and Jesus got our own thing going. We don't need anybody 
In other words, it's like me and Jesus, and that's kind of the way the world lives. I want this potpourri kind of Jesus. I want to take a little bit of this, and I want to take a little bit of that, I want to take a little bit of the other thing, and, and I'll make my own form of worship. That's the danger. Hey, what did, what did he say? What did uh, William Booth say? He said, the church without Christ. Church that just centers around me. It's the danger. You say, well, I wouldn't do that. I want to tell you something. I didn't think that I would make ministry an idol, but I did. Why? Because the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. And given our lives to ourselves, we will make ourselves the idol. That's why we have to examine ourselves. We don't even belong to ourselves. It is Christ. Right? It is Christ whom we belong to. So there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And it all centers around the one Lord and one faith. And Jesus is at the center and the cornerstone and the foundation of all of it. Including our spiritual life, including the reality of our being raised from death to life spiritually. And to walk in His fullness, in His life. One Lord... One faith, one baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Let's bow our heads. Father, with thanksgiving, we give you praise for you, the living Christ. We give you praise for all that you are, that you're indeed the Lord, our very life. God, I ask, the foundation of your word will be the very foundation of our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would take our wayward ways and oftentimes our own wayward thoughts to have that we can have a clear 2020 vision of Christ being Lord over everything in our lives. As we pray today, Lord, Simply ask that the power of your spirit would do your work in our lives. And for our response today, Lord, I ask that you would simply be pleased to do your work. And that we would invite that into our lives. We ask this for Jesus' sake. That his life can be lived through us as imperfect as we are. 
that his very life and presence has lived through us. We ask this for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.